forgiveness, increasing holiness as he transforms us, God's grace lavished on us, hope, an ever-increasing knowledge of God through Jesus, his mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, working in us, his Holy Spirit living in us, guaranteeing our inheritance. Andrew Ollerton describes the contents of those first three chapters of Ephesians as being a bit like putting a champagne glass under a waterfall. There is just so much for us to take in. It's hard for us to even receive it all because God has done so much for us. We need a lifetime to really appreciate it. So then, at the beginning of Ephesians 4, Paul urges us, in the light of those amazing first three chapters of God's blessings, to think about the calling we've received and to live a life worthy of it. And chapters 4 to 6 of Ephesians go on and look at how do we do that in the nitty-gritty of our everyday lives. It all seems really nice in your head, but when you get there with your neighbours that are annoying you or somebody that's upset you or dot, 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 how then do we continue to live as children of the King? How do we reflect him daily? And so Paul explores that theme and we'll be exploring it with him over the next few weeks, looking at such things as unity and diversity, maturity and purity, harmony and victory, his victory and the victory he gives us. So don't miss out, keep coming week by week and you will be picking up the amazing things that are said in this wonderful book of Ephesians. Anyone remember this from last week? We heard this last week, our memory verse. And if you're managing to learn the verses week by week, just a verse a week, fantastic, because they'll go into your soul and they'll build you up. And so this was last week's. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. It wouldn't be an effort, folk, if it was easy. (laughs) We all know what it's like sometimes. It's not easy because we have an enemy and he will work against our unity. He will constantly try to divide. And we see the problem of two. We see Satan will go against everything God does and we end up with good and evil, angels and demons, light and darkness, darkness that stops us seeing God and his will and his ways, life and death, heaven and hell. We need to fight these works of the enemy in the world around us. We need to strive for unity through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And in last week's reading through humility and through bearing with one another in love. My husband can tell you all about bearing with one another in love because he bears with me in love regularly and I'm sure you all do that with people you are close to. We don't always get on, it's not always easy and we need to exercise patience and love and goodness with one another. But it's not God's plan that we're divided. It's God's plan that we're all one, one under one head, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. He promises we will be one. Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, all people. Won't it be amazing at the end of time when the whole of heaven and the whole of earth is one under Christ? And thus our unity matters to God because it's his whole purpose to bring everything together under one head, Christ. And we, as the church, display that first. We are a prophetic display of one in a world which is so often divided. We're not one as a church because we all come wearing the same clothes. We're not one because we all like the same music. We're not one because we all like the same styles of preaching. We're not one because we all like the same things. We're one because we share the same Lord, says John Stott. We are to reflect the oneness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are one, but they are diverse. They are a trinity of difference, but they're one. And we are all different, but we're called to be one. The church is the pilot project of God's purposes. His people are the expression of the unity that displays to the universe its final goal and its ultimate hope, says Peter O'Brien. That's a big thing to grasp again. But we are what begins to show to the world what it will one day become in Christ. So that's the amazingness of the background. And then we come to this week's passage and this week's memory verse. And maybe we can read this together. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Let's do it once more. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it to each one of us. And Steve started like that, saying, each one of us is important and gifted. And it talks about grace. I'm sure some of you will have heard the expression, God's redemption at Christ's expense. It's not about our worthiness. Thank God it's not about our worthiness. He takes us from the rubbish heap, the people we once were dead in our sins and transgressions, and he brings us into the kingdom because of Christ's death on the cross. Every one of us, he does that for, and he gives us gifts by his grace. They're not gifts we earn. They're not gifts we deserve. They're not gifts we can buy. They're not gifts we choose for ourselves even. They're gifts given by Christ because he knows everything and he knows what his body needs. And because they come from Christ, we should value them. I used this story at Good News a few weeks ago when we were looking at this passage as well. This is page 41 of the book. Some of you may have got that far. Churchill, at one point, bends down beside the stream to pick up a stick and he drops his pocket watch into the stream. 
So he immediately drops his outer garments and jumps in to try and retrieve it. When he doesn't succeed after a while, he hires 23 men from his infantry detachment, digs a new route for the part of the stream in which he was sure the watch had fallen. He then hires a military fire engine to drain the area and finds his rusted, broken watch at the bottom. He finds it, he picks it up and he sends it for repair. Why does he go to such great lengths to retrieve the watch? It was a gift from his father. And we are given gifts by the almighty God, our father. We're given gifts by Christ himself. Let's value them. Christ, the very son of God, who descended from heaven to earth, we heard, taking our nature upon him. He became one of us. And more than that, he died a shameful death for each one of us. He became the lowest of the low. But then he ascended higher than all the heavens. And I love this sentence. In order to fill the whole universe. Does that blow your mind? It blows my mind. I can't imagine filling the whole universe. That's incredible. But that's what he's done through his victory over death. His incredible victory has defeated all the enemies of God on our behalf. It's this Christ that gives us gifts. In his victory parade, as it were, he bestows on us the spoils of his victory. All those things that are in chapters one to three, the forgiveness, the everlasting life, and specific individual gifts to use. So how do we discern those individual gifts each one given as Christ apportioned. We discern them through revelation, by praying, by asking him, Father, what have you given me? What do you want to give me? We discern them through other people. Sometimes we are blind. Sometimes perhaps we don't think much of ourselves. And it takes other people to say, this is your gift especially our leadership. God has given them to encourage us and show us what our gifts are. We can also do surveys and personality tests and find out what has God made Rose? What has God made Steve? What has God made Rita? What has he given us to use for his glory? And then we can discern them by trying them out. And some of us are more active than others, and this would suit us. You know, sometimes you can't really find out if you're good at something until you try doing it. And if you try doing it and you think, oh, I'm not good at that, fine. You move on and you try what else you think he's calling you to. With a bit of discernment, because we don't want to spend all our life trying everything. So we listen, though, and with a bit of guidance from other people, we can begin to explore explore our gifts and see what we're called to and develop them.
The diocese runs all sorts of taster courses, and I know this well because it's part of my job, for non-clergy. They run courses in pastoral care, in healing ministry, in leading house groups, in giving talks, all sorts of things that you can go along and you can learn a bit and you can have a bit of a go and see, is this what God's calling me to? And then if he is, you can go and learn a bit more. The parish also provides all sorts of opportunities. We have children's work. We have work with the elderly. We have community projects. We support missionaries. We have administrative roles. We have people we need to bake cakes. We have people caring for people. We have hospitality. We have welcomers. We have practical help that people need. There are so many opportunities. And we can try things out and see what our gifts are and then begin to use them. We don't choose our gifts for ourselves. We don't use our gifts for ourselves. It's not about our own glory. It's about the glory of God and the building up of the body of Christ. That's what he gives us gifts for. And he has given some gifts of leadership, apostles that preach the gospel and establish churches, prophets that strengthen, encourage and comfort others who help the apostles build those churches on healthy foundations, evangelists that proclaim the gospel and also train and equip all of us to share our faith more effectively. Pastors that walk beside people, pick people up, care for people, love people, are there for people. Teachers that ground us in the word, help us bed it into our lives, help us grasp it and get it and apply it. And again, those leadership gifts are never given, so leaders indulge themselves. They're there to equip the body of Christ for works of service. The word equip in the New Testament is linked, and I love this, it's not a word I'd ever heard before in this context, it's linked to mending for a purpose. And it's used in the Gospel when Peter, John, James and Andrew mend their torn nets ready to go out and catch fish. So equipping is about restoring, repairing and mending broken lives. So once that's happened, we can achieve that high goal of living not for our fame and glory, but for the fame of Jesus Christ, God's Son, and for building up the body of Christ. So the whole body glorifies God and we all enjoy him forever. So I wonder how you need to be equipped today, restored maybe, repaired, mended. If you feel tired, ask for God's strength. If you feel disillusioned, ask for God's vision. If you feel misunderstood, ask for God's grace. And be encouraged and be an encourager of others. And so we mature as a church, as we support one another. Like ripening peaches, we might start off tasting pretty sour, but we build each other up till we become 
ripe peaches or like fermenting wine to start with it's probably pretty tasteless and pretty watery but it gets matured and it gets body so we grow not just as individuals this western society is very individualistic but we as the people of god are called to be community we're called to grow and mature together We already have unity. We were told that last week, the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And yet here it says we press on to attain unity in the faith. We already have a knowledge of God. And yet here we're called to go on getting to know Christ more. That's a great paradox of the Christian life. We already have, but we don't have fully. It's the already, but the not yet. And we press on to take hold of everything he's offering us. We press on until we're filled with all the measure of the fullness of Christ. Your car doesn't go far if it don't have enough petrol in it. Imagine being full up with the one who healed the sick with the one who gave sight to the blind with the one who healed the brokenhearted with the one who taught with authority with the one that made the lame dance with the one that loved everyone so much he gave his life for us and then was raised again to glory when we're filled with him We're no longer infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. When we're filled with him, we'll know what's right and wrong. We'll know how to stand firm in his ways. We won't be sidetracked by false teaching, led astray by the pools of this world's values. We won't be led into trying to earn rather than receiving by grace all he gives us. We will know the truth of who we once were and who we now are in him. We will know that speaking the truth, that truth of knowing who we are in him, speaking that truth, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. The head is Jesus Christ. He'll always be our guide if we make time to listen to him. He'll always be our head that shows us where to go. And so from him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, growing and building itself up in love as each part does its work. Again, in the book, there's a lovely story by Dave Smith about ligaments, and some of you may have already read this. And this is what he says. 
I know from painful experience the importance of ligaments. I was in my early 20s studying for my thesis and doing part-time teaching at a local Oxford school. I was playing on the staff side in a friendly match against the boys when one of the boys decided I was playing a bit too well. He came from behind, he caught my knee in a scissor-like movement. The moment he did, I knew something was wrong. I got up and immediately my whole knee buckled. I went to surgery to find that my cruciate ligaments had snapped. For months afterwards, I was aware of how vital those small ligaments were. We are a whole body, and you might not think you're important, but every ligament is important in God's body. There's no such thing as nobody that's not special and called and gifted by God. It's not a case of 80% of the work done by 20% of the people. We are all called, and every person is called to do their share, whatever that may be. You've been given gifts to build up the church, to play your crucial part as a crucial ligament. Pastor Robert Mardu also says, also from here somewhere, comparing ourselves to others is the cancer to contentment. And that struck me because sometimes I look at the way others do things and I think, oh, I should be able to do like that. We're not called to compare ourselves to others. That's the way we are never content. We're called to use our own gifts and celebrate the gifts of others. So we work together effectively as a team and exercise our gifts in the service of others. Again, from this, towards the end of the week, Dave Smith says... God has called you to ministry. It's vital you embrace this call, both for your own sense of significance and destiny in Christ, but also because you have a critical part to play in the greatest plan on the planet, the building up of a unified, mature and Christ-like church. That's the way God designed it to be. No one is more important than any other. No one is excluded. Everyone is saved by grace to be part of his body and to build up his body. So we come back to our memory verse. Let's read it together once more. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Amen. Thank you, Rose. I'm going to ask you if we can just have...